Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. Yep, New Year, same, well, impressive, wonderful, very, very special mailbag for the Motley Fool Money podcast. And the podcast wouldn't be the podcast if I wasn't joined by this man, my good mate. Uh, uh, well, what was, now, I was going to say, um, well, look, you heard his Bitcoin episode. That's all I'm saying. Andrew Page, how are you, mate? Very good, sir. Very good. <laughs> how how are you? you? I'm excellent. Mate, you are very, I know I said it, you know, you said that you weren't being kind, you were happy to have a challenge, but not many people would happily sit there and have their have their beliefs challenged for over an hour of, of Bitcoin chat. So again, mate, I really appreciate you being so honest with our listeners and open to just answer some of those questions. It was it was super cool. So thank you for doing uh, that. Do, you, do, you never need to invite a Bitcoiner <laughs> to talk about Bitcoin is the first you thing. And have you have someone loves you, Bitcoin? You don't have, you know, with the oh, old that, vegan vegetarian thing, isn't it? We're going to steer every conversation in that direction. <laughs> um, but I also say, and I said it to you at the end of the pod it's mm, it bears mm. repeating and I, I say this in full seriousness whether whatever the asset is i just mm, i just mm. love that idea of of challenging the investment idea i mean it's why straw man is called straw man you, you want you want yeah, those yeah. Nice. the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it you know and and so <laughs> yeah whether it's that or some of the shares i'm holding if i've if i've got the wrong end of the stick oh, i mean lord knows i want to know about mm. it right mm. so so i actually i actually should be thanking you for for um from putting up some challenges because it's it's actually super helpful and and anyone out there just investing I think the thing to do when with anything you've got a, um, uh, an interest in is is find the person who disagrees with you and talk to them because when you talk to the person who likewise agrees that I don't know Kogan's the best investment in the world um, you know you're <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're just going to reinforce each other and confirmation yeah. bias each other oh, to, so to, to to rack and ruin potentially so, so true, you know so true. It's also easy to have conviction and idea what someone else likes in, in the good times. Yeah. You know, so-and-so likes it, and I like it a bit, so I guess I must be right. They must be right. We're all right. Yeah. Uh, it's easy on the upside, right? It's when things get tough and you say, well, they kind of liked it, but what, why did I listen to them and what do they yep. really believe and think? It's it's always worth having your own ideas. I always I think mean, that I love with, that. Um, with stock tips as well, it's a favourite totally, will you saying of mine, which is you can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. So this I is the- that. Yep. This is the trail. Let's say we, we won't do it for, for licensing reasons, but you know, I say my strong <laughs> buy recommendation for 2023 yeah. is this kind of stuff. It's just sort of like, even if I'm ultimately right, it could be a rough mm. period. And when mm. it does get rough, all you've got to go on is what some rando dude on a podcast said. <laughs> you've never looked at it yourself. You've got no conviction. And, yeah, and you exactly. know, you just, you, you've, you've, unfortunately, there's no shortcut to it. You've got to build it yourself and and, and yeah. <laughs> it requires a bit of work. Fortunately, it's, it, it can be very lucrative, so it makes it all worthwhile and very rewarding just intellectually as well, let me add. It's really true, mate. And it's funny too, you know, like I know when shares go down, I have people hit me up and say, so I know you like this stock, it's going down, do you still like it? And it's kind of like, I, I mean, I, I'm always flattered by people asking and I always try and help people. And I, we are, we do, I do hold myself as an expert and someone who can hopefully recommend companies and, and do a good job and hopefully beat the market over the long term. Um, when people are asking me what they're, what they're really, yeah, what they're really saying is, uh, you know, can, can you please just help me, you know, worry less? If, if someone, says, someone else says, yes, I guess it must be okay. And look, I'm glad they ask and I hope I can help and all that kind of stuff. But to your point, it's also the same in reverse. Like, you know, that's fine. I... I, you know, at the Motley Fool, we give stock recommendations. Our scorecards are are visible to our members, and I, we, you know, our job is to bring them market beating recommendations, as you say, on time, uh, over time, on average, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, we, we we are saying 
we think you can and potentially should if it works for you follow our scorecards trade for trade if we still like it stay with it if we don't like it sell it but then you get what we get and that could be good it could be bad at the end of the day we are giving our absolute best efforts and our best intellect and our best experience but we can't give promises either and again to mm. your point mate um you know it's 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 of little benefit to anybody who says well i thought they knew what they were doing uh, if it doesn't work out right and, mm. and I hope we do and I hope we will and I hope people will do well with it but you're absolutely right that you owe it to yourself to at least understand why you're listening to these as a group and preferably individually and say yep I understand the thesis you're giving for that company I agree with it mm-hmm. fundamentally so I'm going to recommend it rather than I g- or buy it rather than mm. g- I hope you're right you said it was okay so I guess I'll go with it yeah. um, again no criticizing not criticism for anyone who's of that view but you know, you do owe it to yourself just for your own sake to make sure that you know that you know that you know that you're in for the whole story, not just because some bald bloke at the end of a, a microphone said so. I'd like to think around the, the uh, Christmas table or whatever it is and speaking mm. to a, the uncle across the way and you, they, they say, oh, you've got shares in XYZ. Why is yeah. that? That you could, you could give a reasonably rational answer to that beyond mm. I saw it on Twitter or something yeah. like yeah. that. I think if you can get past that hump, you've actually gotten – further than, than a lot of people so <laughs> but make the effort make the effort nice mate let's let, I've got a question here from uh, he's a very smart very interesting uh, funny guy he's good looking his name's Scott Scott Phillips I think um, I'm, I, just, <laughs> uh, I, do, I do have a question we're from sending Scott, our right? own questions in at this stage <laughs> yeah, exactly mate I, there are plenty of questions and some people who won't get their questions answered will be grumpy with me for asking but I do want to I, I wanted to throw you a question in light of our Bitcoin episode we didn't get to this topic and it probably wasn't about Bitcoin necessarily though it's obviously entirely related and we had our conversation about what is or isn't crypto uh, so maybe, maybe it's partly that but i did want to get your thoughts just for our listeners who are following this topic not about bitcoin at all this time but because you are in this space um, and you follow it pretty closely the ftx debacle mm-hmm. for those who aren't following ftx is was a, a business set up to be a I'll call it a crypto exchange. And again, I know that term is a little bit triggering, but let's go with it. You can explain why there's a reason appropriate. Casino or Ponzi, but yeah, let's go exchange. (laughs) And they held themselves out as a place where you could go and buy and sell uh, cryptocurrency tokens, including Bitcoin, but also yeah. plenty of others besides. They were advertising all, on the Super Bowl, you know, one of the big ones. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and yeah. they got Larry David and yep. a golfer or football player or something. Uh, anyway, so massive, big massive, names. massive money. Um, it's all gone completely pear-shaped. It's all mm. gone to, to pot. Um, and I guess just for your for, for the sake of the viewers, we had a couple of people ask us just generally what we thought of what's going on. I don't necessarily want to spend too long on it because it's not really a big deal. I think, honestly, mate, we kind of turn some of these things into soap operas a little bit, you know. When, yep. when there's corporate stories, you know, we, we kind of feel better because it's in the AFR. So we're, you know, we're not like those people who read about Britney Spears and Prince Harry and and mm. Meghan. Uh, we're, we're we're really we're real people, and we read about the corporate scandals and, and soap operas instead. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I I'm always mindful of not giving it too much press. Honestly, I don't follow it anywhere near as much as almost anybody else in my team, for example, because mm. um, I just it's just it's going to be a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, but but there are some implications and things worth pointing out so maybe just in in a couple of minutes if you can um what what did we learn from the ftx debacle what lessons are there could there be for people who are investing in cryptocurrencies and or bitcoin 
my, my fear is that we learn nothing uh, because what, what went down <laughs> there has happened a hundred times in history, you know. So <laughs> it's sort of like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be pessimistic and say that we will, <laughs> we will see this particular dog and pony show kind of thing again. The good news is our listeners are very smart, thoughtful people. And once they know, we will help them avoid it forever. So <laughs> I think the, the, the thing that's hard, it's worth touching on because it was a pretty big deal in the financial space. Yeah. Um, but also I think it's, all, it's worth clearing up a bit of misinformation because – the, the 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 press tends to use a lot of sort of these big terms and they lump all this sort of quote-unquote crypto stuff together and it just all it does is stoke prejudices and biases and all of that kind of stuff and 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 so it's worth cutting through and I'd say very quickly what you've got here is that you've got some offshore exchange um, that was set up that had these very inappropriate ties to its own trading arm mm. um, that was essentially um, taking customer deposits and trading them. And, okay. um, you, you, should, you know, this is why maybe I should use the word allegedly because it's still reasonably fresh and we're, we're pre-recording this. So maybe a lot of things have happened since, mm-hmm. yeah, it's moving pretty fast. But it's, but it's basically, it was a giant con, if I, allegedly. Um, be careful to throw that word in, but it, it looks to Thank all you. intents and purposes to be that. So I guess my urging here is for people who are interested in it is is that it's it what that means to Bitcoin to call that out specifically is is uh, is the same as what a collapsing stockbroker might mean to equities. You know what I mean? So so someone has done something entirely inappropriate and very yeah. likely illegal, and will hopefully face some very serious consequences on that. Mm. But they uh, they they scammed people without getting into the minutia of the financial maneuverings that that were happening. That's what happened, and it's it's compounded a little bit because a lot of the grift was built on things that were themselves grift, which were a lot of these stupid tokens of the twenty thousand altcoins that are that are out there. You know, they, they, it was it was a offshore essentially a casino that was speculating on these stupid air tokens and on customer funds, and it all it all blew up. And because much of the um, structure of things, you had things being rehypothecated and cross-collateralized and all these fancy sort of big brain financial kind of strategies and stuff playing out, that when it, mm. when it went bust, there was, in effect, something of a bank run and something of a massive shock to confidence. And usually when you see that happen, you see huge, huge declines in, in prices. As Warren Buffett says, you start to see who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out. <laughs> and so... It's a really good lesson, well, reminder, I should say, that when you allow people to skirt the law, and they're basically doing what's been done in 100 other different mm. markets before we realize that it's probably worth regulating some of this stuff. They just got away with what they could because <laughs> they could get away with it. You know, yeah. there's a reason why they're all registered in the Bahamas and that kind of stuff. And they just, <laughs> the regulators were way, way, way too slow to act. And, and yeah. you could probably say, you know, you should put some personal responsibility on people. And that is true. But- you know, there's a lot of clever people with some very sexy, alluring, get-rich stories who just grifted people out of their life savings. And mm. it's it's easy to sort of laugh at some of these people who bought some monkey thing or whatever and lost all their money. But they they were they were very deliberately and knowingly led to this path by by a bunch of scammers. And yeah, it's 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 a tragic scenario. It, it had to happen because that's the nature of Ponzi's. They 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 can't go on forever. So it's good that it came out. Hopefully it washes out a few other things while it's there. It's good to sort of, you know, scorch the earth and start start afresh. Um, but yeah, that that's that's what that's what I would say in regard to that. It is it is a it is a financial um, case of fraud on an exchange. It, it is 
I, the only point I want to stress is it's got nothing to do with Bitcoin, other than that there were <laughs> supposedly Bitcoin held there and it has impacted sentiment and the rest of it. So I yeah I, I think that's absolutely right, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna add some a couple of thoughts. And by the way, you're you're an expert this, so tell me if I'm wrong or if you disagree. Um, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing. So think about the FTX from, from a from a potential user slash investors perspective. A couple of things going on. I have a lot of sympathy for people who thought believed found it easier to be part of this broader crypto idea. <laughs> and I'm trying. To, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be pejorative at all. Like I'm trying to be. I'm trying to describe it in a holistic sense mm-hmm. and, and felt like using an exchange was a simpler, easier, less complicated way of getting some exposure to these things or buying these assets, right? Yep. Um, if I had to, if I had to, uh, with shares, um, if I had to somehow create my own uh, computerized holding account and then go and find someone who could use the same thing to transfer and, and try and work out what the wallet, the password and everything else was, or I could just go to Comsec and say, hey, can you guys just do me a favor, buy some, some ANZ shares and put them mm-hmm. in my account for me. Here's the cash. I get why you would use a middleman. That's why they exist in, in most of the financial world. Banks, stockbrokers, mm-hmm. you know, they, these guys exist to facilitate trades. And I absolutely understand why people would have looked at FTX or someone else and said, hey, it's like Comsec, but for crypto. Yep. And, and I think that it, it, it's not untrue at, at some level, except that these guys were more than that. They weren't just the broker. They were the, the custodian. Um, they were doing trades on their own account. The, the actual ownership record uh, or the, the record of ownership and the, the, the limitation or the restriction of the company who accessed those assets, these are all things that weren't, you know, it, it was analogous to a stockbroker. But it wasn't the same for really, really important reasons. I'm going to say, mate, honestly, I mean, I haven't looked into this. I, I would like to think I would have looked into it more and then, you know, had a view. But I've got to say, I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't have been someone had I decided that I liked your, your ideas on Bitcoin. I decided to buy some. And I went, you know what? I'll find an exchange to do it on because that just seems easier and simpler. Mm. And Big, reputable what can, name. And what could go yeah. wrong, right? I, yeah. It's my Bitcoin. It's on, their, it's on their account, but it's my Bitcoin and I'll, I'll have it back and mm-hmm. I'm sure they're doing the right thing. And, you know, I could absolutely imagine that, that scenario. Yep. We've, we've seen in Australia, for example, um, Opus Prime was the most recent one I can recall, which was a stockbroker, but the, the, the money wasn't held in separate trust accounts. And people lost mm. a whole lot of money because Opus Prime was doing things they, I wouldn't even say shouldn't have been, but did things that ended up having negative consequences for mm. the company and for the for the assets of the people who were invested through those guys. So mm-hmm. it's not just a crypto problem. Um, it is a reminder, as you say, mate, and it's one of these we have to be retaught regularly. Just think about who the counterparty is on what you're doing and make sure that you know that you know that you know um, that you can trust these people and they are they're able to be relied on to hold those assets appropriately, responsibly. i got to say too, it reminds me of honestly even people like the big investment banks during the during the gfc you know you kind of think the bank is there to facilitate trades and hold money in trust and then you realize there's these proprietary trading desks where the bank are the banks are trading you know assets on their own account trying to make some money as well and that activity i'm really still i mean used to it used to be not allowed and then shouldn't regulators were well i was going to say regulators were convinced Yep. Correct, right? So if you're a bank, you're a bank. You hold deposits, you make loans. That's what you do. Yep. You, you, don't, you don't trade in your own account. If you want to trade in your own account, have a separate organization. Not when other people's funds business. are at risk. Right? And just separate out. Yeah. Anyway, you still can't, that's still a risk, by the so, way, in the mainstream financial uh, the, you know, system, let alone the other. So just know, know who you're dealing with. Um, make sure you can trust the counterparty if you're going to use an exchange. Um, maybe the answer is simply don't. But uh, just, just, just be mindful of that because it can happen again, as you say. I'm, I'm laughing because irony of ironies here. 
the, the raison d'etre, <laughs> the entire point <laughs> of this technology was to not have a middleman and not have to <laughs> not require a counterparty. Right, right. Like, like I don't know if people miss the memo, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Like, so to this is the thing people thought they owned these tokens they didn't yeah, they had an yeah. iou to these tokens right. it just wasn't there right. the beautiful thing about again i'll separate them out but the beautiful thing about bitcoin is is that i don't need you or anyone in the, mm-hmm. else in the world to 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 hold it for me or to give me access to it it's it's, it's entirely it's entirely decentralized so it's sort of that's mm-hmm. that's the real shame on it all and again i'll just repeat just for the sake of it that that plenty of mm-hmm. in fact the, the people's shouting loudest and earliest were the Bitcoiners saying, not your keys, not your coin. It became a meme. It was so mm. widely used. It's just like, get them off the bloody exchange, particularly these ones that are registered elsewhere, that are trading, acting as a casino for all these stupid things. And, and worse than that, creating their own tokens to yeah. and, and putting that on your own balance sheet. They literally spun up their own money out of thin air and and wash traded it and did all again allegedly <laughs> all of these very inappropriate yeah. things to you yeah. know it was it was all built on sand um so it was it was the the lesson the lesson here is before you own anything whether it's an emu farm or an investment property it's like do your research and i always come back i think it was the peter lynch know what you own and why you own it mm-hmm. and i think if anyone who was really genuinely looked into this they would have reached the conclusion that there's bitcoin and then there's everything else <laughs> and then they would have bought their bitcoin on an exchange because you need to get it from somewhere and then they would have right. custodied it custodied it themselves because that's I, yeah what you're, that's what you're you meant know, to do it seems obvious in hindsight man. honestly the and i'm sure it's not that difficult but like the whole one of the things that i think one of the biggest and this is maybe maybe it's inevitably got to be the case because otherwise the whole idea of bitcoin breaks down but the high, and I don't get to Bitcoin again. We spent a whole episode on it, but just that idea of like it's it's just not easy. There's nothing easy about, and so there's nothing there's nothing instinctive, and and simple about setting up your own wallet and having your own key. It's, it's just a, it's just a pain. It's it's, ve- it's very unfamiliar do, right? in the That's modern day. Thank you. It's very very unfamiliar. I mean, maybe you I go back I, a I couple can, centuries where you yeah. all we all had like a bit of gold buried in the backyard yeah. or something like yeah. that. Maybe an okay analogy. Yeah. But yeah, it's we we we. We live, and there are huge advantages that come with centralization. Let's be let's be balanced right. about yes, this. Right. Yes. Point. Yeah. And I'll I'll say this where a lot of Bitcoiners get very ideological on it, but that having a central authority can be great mm. for for people who just my house burns down, I lose my records, I get dementia. There's someone else. There's an yeah. appe- there's a there's an authority to, that I can appeal to, mm. to to make sure that I'm I'm okay. Um, so that is that is that is recognised, I think, as a Man, as banking a, generally, right? That's exactly yeah. what banking is. You know, yeah, they they will look after it. They will keep it safe for yep. me. They'll, it'll be there when I want it. I can go and get it from them. Yep. I don't have to worry about my own personal security guard and whatever else. That's as you say. That is that is the, that is the reason that of, of Bitcoin on one level. On the other level, it's kind of also the reason why it's just like it just feels so. It's just too hard. Like seriously, can I just have it on an exchange somewhere? Like you yeah. know, and it's yeah. And I, I, get I, why I absolutely take that. your point. Yeah, I do wonder. I do wonder at some point whether there is a, a middle ground. This is not a conversation for now, but. Uh, the idea of the the kind of custodian trustee, you know, if you if you own oh, a managed fund, mm. the fund manager manages the fund, but there's a separate trustee whose responsibility is making sure the money is where it should be. For all yeah. of these reasons, yeah. um, I could imagine an out of FTX comes some sort of hybrid. It may still not be enough, and it may not still be right. And I'm sure the, the diehard Bitcoiners would hate the idea, but there may be some. I can imagine some version of a trustee relationship springing up where you have the separation of a broker, like mm-hmm. a ComSec, mm-hmm. from the chess system uh, and or in funds management, the fund manager and the trustee. 
I, I would I would speculate that'll be the next thing we say. No, you don't have to speculate, mate. They're, they're here and they're, they're, they are, that service has absolutely sprung up. And, you know, some, each to their own, but for some people it is a decent mm-hmm. choice. But even within those models, you've got very interesting things, what are called multi-sig wallets. So what you you might have a key, I might have a key, mum has a key, and then a custodian. Has, you need two oh, okay. or th- three of four keys or two or three or oh. any combination you like. So that's you've got all these things yeah. that if worst case scenario, it's not lost yeah. forever because yeah. that's the yeah. downside. It's a bare instrument. If you lose this oh, totally. yeah. unbreakable <laughs> key, it's, it's literally <laughs> gone forever. You will never, yeah. ever guess yeah. it. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, you're you're right. I mean, again, it's, it's we, we don't want to make this a second or third Bitcoin no, episode. So let's, <laughs> let, 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 let's move on. But but I, I think that the point to to be aware of is you've, you've already articulated is, um, you know, be aware of some of these counterparties, particularly mm-hmm. if they're, they're dealing in all of this other kind of nefarious sort of air tokens and particularly if they're domiciled in in certain jurisdictions <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, in hindsight it's a pretty good uh, a pretty good way to think about it yeah all right here's one from well i'll read it from the top hi scott and rampage i've been listening to this podcast since around 2020 and i really look forward to it especially the mailbag episode every sunday it helps me keep on an even keel and not invest in every speculative opportunity out there Though I have on a few with a smiling face with crying eyes. I'm a relatively new investor. I've been investing since 2020 and I've seen my portfolio go up and then down. Yeah, I know the feeling. As someone who lives in Australia and earns Aussie dollars, even though everything is down, everything seems overvalued at the same time. More specifically, I invest primarily in two ETFs, an ASX 200 ETF and a NASDAQ 100 ETF. I feel that both have strong headwinds, being that for the NASDAQ 100, The Aussie dollar has depreciated quite a lot against the US dollar. And when the Aussie dollar goes back up, it would lead to the NASDAQ underperforming, at least in Aussie dollars. For the ASX 200, given the overexposure to miners and banking, once the price of oil and minerals go down in the future, the ASX will underperform. Given that BHP is around 10% of the ASX 200, the risk is not insignificant in my opinion. Would you just stay the course and keep on investing despite what you think would be a likely outcome of poor performance in the future? would love to hear your thoughts on this. Kind regards, Kunal. P.S. Mm. Please don't read out my name. P.P.S. <laughs> just kidding. You can read out my name. <laughs> Thank you, Kunal. It's funny. That's awesome. Um, it's a good question, mate, because yeah. you know, under, under one set of assumptions, there are some decent headwinds in both cases. Um, mm. what, what do you think? Well, I think when, once you've made that decision to go the broad-based ETF, mm. you know, you... you Kind of the, the whole point is so you don't have to worry about a lot of these things. I mean, you're really just saying, I just want broad equity exposure. That, that's what I want. And I know if anything that history is going to teach me, it's going to be a wild ride. There'll be better times and worse times and <laughs> the future will always be cloudy. And, you know, some, sometimes there's bad things will happen and the rest of it. But, you know, the way the question was framed, the answer is no, don't. Because you the way you see it is that there's all these risks here. And if there's a better risk-adjusted return elsewhere, you should absolutely do that. But but the response to that is also, well, are you, are you sure that's going to happen? Maybe the Aussie dollar goes lower <laughs> from here. Maybe BHP knocks the lights out. And by the way, I'm not saying I think this, but yeah. I've been doing it long enough to know that when you when you get <laughs> some of the smartest analysts who have followed these stocks for 20 years just get it wrong time and time again. It's it's just it's hard it's hard to know. Now, if you're you're picking stocks and we were talking about individual opportunities, it's a different thing because there's so much choice out there. But when you're talking about basically, I want exposure to the Nasdaq and the ASX. And I'm going to assume here that you're probably going to do it for a fair fair period of time. Yeah, currencies will move up and down and maybe BHP doesn't have the greatest run, but then maybe at the same time, another segment of the of the market just knocks it out of the park. And again, I'm getting the average on all of this kind of stuff. So it's sort of, it, it, 
it's not the kind of thing I would uh, overly worry about. If my plan was simply, I just want really easy access to equity markets, and I just want to, I just want to do this for the long term. Yeah, you'll look back and think, I oh, could have, would have, should have. We we will we'll always do that, but it's hard to think over a reasonable enough time frame that you'll be disappointed with that with mm. that approach. Even if it turned out that the very start of that journey was 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 with the benefit of hindsight, not not the most perfectly timed one. Yep, I agree with that, mate. Uh, two extra thoughts for me. I, I think you're spot on, mate. Uh, two extra thoughts for me. Uh, we have recently recommended the hedged NASDAQ ETF to our share advisor members. Uh, a couple might be disappointed with me saying that out loud because uh, they're paying for it, but I'm sure they won't mind in general. Um, and so one of the options would be to pursue your NASDAQ investing strategy using a hedged uh, investment while you think the dollar is way too low. Uh, so that's an option you have available to you. Um, in terms of the ASX 200, the other option there is to think about other ASX ETFs uh, that might be available. Available. You can get, I think there's an ASX X Leaders ETF, I think, which might, mm-hmm. might exclude the top 20 or the top 200, mm-hmm. I can't remember which. Yeah. Um, there's also an ASX Small Ordinaries ETF, which is a Vanguard product. I have invested in the Small Ordinaries one, not the other one, uh, for full disclosure. I also own the standard NASDAQ, not the hedge NASDAQ for full disclosure. Um, so yeah, there are, Canal, there are there are a couple of options if you wanted to look at other ways of getting exposure to the Australian market without those particular ETFs, given that concern, you can. Um, but as Andrew says, the other thing is you've got to be right. <laughs> and, yeah. and generally speaking, if you're dollar cost averaging, um, I would be happy enough. Look, I don't own an ASX 200 ETF. I may at some point in the future. Um, I, I don't dislike it. I invest in the Small Ordinaries one specifically for the reasons you have highlighted. I didn't want to be exposed to the banks and miners. For the record, the small order is actually underperforming the all odds. So as far as I've been doing that, I've been wrong, at least in terms of uh, performance. So there is some there is some kind of hold, you know, do it anyway and just accept the swings and roundabouts. Um, by the way, in the US, you could have said, I'm not investing in the S&P 500 because there's no tech companies. Now the tech guys are big because as they get added, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the other benefit of an ETF is BHP might be 10% now. If it declines, something else grows. Well, you get the benefit of that growth on the way through mm-hmm. too. So um, it's not a it's not a, a a zero sum necessarily outcome in that context. Yeah, and I think there's a no, I'm going to forget who said it, but it's like there's been more money lost in anticipating the next correction than in the correction mm-hmm. itself. And I know I know we're not talking about that degree of sort of pullback, but it's it's applicable here. You know, in in and I, I think we can extend that idea to there's there's probably more money being lost in in um, <sighs> yeah. Find, tr- trying to be a little bit too, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I see this and I see it because you you see these these kinds of currency fluctuations are always going to be a thing whenever you invest overseas. You know, commodity cycles are always going to be a thing when you're investing in these. And and, and you'll just you, you this is incredibly hard hard to pick. So if you kind of if you want the exposure, it's kind of like you kind of sign this deal with the devil. It's like, well, I'll take the exposure, mm-hmm. but I'll I'll just have to roll with the punches because yeah. the history of being a guy, they'll, they'll, it'll probably be, it'll look over a long enough period of time a worthwhile journey, but, you know, probably a bumpy one. And I'll say, as you would say, mate, don't overthink it. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go to a question from Tim. Hi, guys. This is, I think I read this the first bit out last time. Uh, first, I think Ram can only be referred to as Esquire if he's a landowner as is used in English reference to entitle the Knight's principal landowner in a parish as the Squire. So there you go. Anyway, he says, my question is about population growth. Reports say that China's population is now in decline. So does that mean their growth is always also going to be in decline? If a rising population drives economic activity, does a declining population mean a decline in growth as well? Mm. Has the growth rate of my China-focused ETFs peaked? 
Keep up the great work, guys. And that's from Tim. Uh, yeah. So, yes, it does. <laughs> um, be, just with all else, again, the famous saying, Cerebus yep. Paribus, is it, or whatever? You know, uh, all yes, else being- Cerebus something like that mm-hmm. so uh, all else being equal mm-hmm. there's less people so there's you know less people spending less people making stuff it's just like the economy as defined that way will shrink mm-hmm. where i tend to have a problem with that view is that it assumes that of the people that remain they're all going to be poorer and i think it's an important distinction to make it may well entirely be possible for you to enjoy a higher and higher standard of living but the economy quote unquote the economy as measured by gdp to to be pretty stagnant or even go backwards a little bit. That's probably pretty controversial on like you know, Keynesian lines of, of economic thinking, <laughs> but I don't I don't I've actually tried to take that question pretty seriously, and I'm not convinced that that's not the case. China, uh, Japan's a good example, I think, potentially of this. I mean, its economy's been a basket case for a long period of time, but I mean, Japan's a first world country, one of some of the highest standards of living in the world. And I would posit that people alive and living in Japan today enjoy a much better lifestyle than they did in the 80s, even even though on a lot of economic measures, it's it's been bad. So yep. maybe it's worth looking at things on a per capita basis, or maybe it's more even worthwhile, I think, to say, well, okay, let's say GDP does go down. Uh, and for the reasons that I expect, does that preclude me making money via in, investing in, in particular That's equities. I'd say, absolutely not. <laughs> Could have invested in Nintendo just when, when uh, <laughs> Japan was at, you know, the peak. And it's, I think you've actually done pretty well out of that kind of stuff as well. So you can absolutely get it. Well, so I'm saying a lot of stuff here. The first thing is I, I take issue in some way with the measure. But even if you get past that, I still don't think it, precl- even if you're right, I don't think it precludes by any stretch the opportunity to find good investments and get good returns. That's right. That's right. A uh, couple of thoughts from me, mate. Uh, the missing bit, you made the point about standards of living. I think that's absolutely important one. And I haven't looked at, actually, I'll do it right now just for fun. While I, uh, I'm desperately, I'm typing into Google. I should have been this while you were talking, mate. I just couldn't be doing it now. I had you captivated. So the GDP per capita for China per person is $12,500. The cat GDP per person in Australia is twelve and a half thousand for China. I bet you fifty nine thousand nine hundred for Australia. These are in US dollars, mm. so five times higher. Now it is absolutely possible, and I would argue probable that over time the GDP, national income, average wage, any of those numbers for China go up and probably buy a lot. So I think I would just all I would suggest in terms of Tim, in terms of your ETFs, is to think not just about the um, the Per, the, the number of people, but the wealth or output or income per person. So if you know if China's, uh, China's population stabilised and the GDP per person went up to the same as Australia, then there'd be five times the, the Chinese economy would be five times the size. Put it that way. Mm. Now let's say that that happens and the Chinese economy shrinks by twenty percent. You're still a four x in terms of the potential uh, you know national income, national output of China. So don't just look at the population in a stagnant. So for Australia, for example, um, we, we've said we've had times in the recent past. I don't, know, I don't think it's the case now, uh, particularly not probably with, uh, with COVID. But GDP per person in Australia has actually been declining. And we actually only got economic growth because we have more people. Mm. Right? If, you do, if you do the maths. But if you're China, if you're a developing country, very, very decent chance. No guarantees. Um, I, don't, I think it's probable, but certainly not guaranteed, uh, that the growth in... Income per person 
is probably going to exceed the growth in population as they continue to modernize. So I wouldn't say it's peaked necessarily. It may have, because I might be wrong about that assumption, or the population might fall faster than I think. The other thing is too, don't forget that like Australia, um, if your economy is an export-oriented economy, or you make a decent amount of money from your exports, then that the the balance of trade in that context also matters a lot. Mm. So if you if you export twice as much in five years time as you do this year, uh, and nothing else changes, the economy doesn't have to grow internally. There can just be more output from Chinese companies. By the way, I'm not a huge China bull in terms of uh, ETFs. I don't only China focused ETFs, so I'm not making a, an investment case. I'm just thinking economically purely. Mm. And then to Andrew's point, on top of that, you've then got which country, which companies, which industries actually do well despite that. So even even in a slowing economy, last time we had a recession, uh, Flexi Group, the 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 original buy now pay later, the kind of you know 48 month interest free stuff, they grew phenomenally as the Australian economy stalled. Why? Because they were a small company taking market share in you know even in a flat industry. So depending on what the ETFs are and how they're making money. I don't love the Chinese ETFs for a couple of reasons. I don't love the sovereign risk of China. I'm not sure whether you get your money out. They have very strict capital controls. Um, but I also do think Chinese companies will be some of the biggest businesses in, in the world in 20 years' time. So mm. keep both those thoughts it's together. And, I'm, uh, I'm reasonably bearish China, I've got to tell you. I, I think there's just been... Yeah, I... I look. <laughs> Life will improve gradually, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but it's it's mm. there is such a the geopolitical rift that is fast growing has very real economic consequences. The whole rise of prosperity was being the world's factory, and as the world yeah, yeah. moves more and more towards this onshoring, even slash what do they call it, friendshoring kind of <laughs> phenomena, it's going to be a tailwind, and and the demographic shift is also going to be mm. a, a sorry a headwind uh, as well. Mm. Um, uh, overall, at, on, on, a, on a mass scale, so and 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 they've just got gosh, they've made just so many hundreds of billions of malinvestment in railway lines and roads and cities and stuff that haven't gone anywhere. There is, there is, it, it did serve a purpose there for a time, but there's a bit of a they they have created a bit of a pickle for themselves, <laughs> and as they become increasingly sort of more isolated, and the hope was always remember if you go back far enough, you know the the hope was always that China pivoted. To being able to sustain Correct. its growth from domestic consumption, yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it ever actually has materially hit that point. And as the West pulls back, it's just going to be harder and harder. And then I just—you mentioned it right off the bat, which is the sovereign risk. I just—I mm. don't have the faith in that institutions or the relationships with our institutions that when everything goes pear-shaped, that I just won't <laughs> be completely rug pulled. So, mm. you know, but the, yeah, the, I, I, the, I, I can some say great companies yeah. emerge. I'm sure. We have some people internally who have exactly that view, mate. I, I actually think we overstate that risk relative to other risks of other Australian businesses. It's it's a it's a new additional risk. You're absolutely right. The probability of that, I don't know. Um, I, again, I, I I say that I'm talking to both sides of my mouth. I don't have any Chinese investments, um, but I, you know, I talk to both sides of my mouth because uh, there is I, I, I hear that risk. I don't know how likely it is, given the given the interconnected nature of the world and the requirement for China themselves to be, you know, to, to at least retain some economic growth and to do whatever necessary mm-hmm. in that context. Uh, I'm not so sure, but nor am I sure either way. So it's probably it's probably one of those things. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, question from Leah, mate. This is an interesting one um, for a couple of different reasons. We're not tax experts, Leah, so I'll start with that. But she says, "Hi, Scott and Andrew. Absolutely love the pod, and have been an avid listener for about a year. I recommend it to everyone." Thank you, Lee. It's very kind. I'm 28 years old and I started investing in index tracking ETFs last year through Comsec. I've just signed up to Motley Fool ETF Investor, thank you, as well, and was planning to use that to shape future purchases. However, I've just moved to the UK and I'm earning a salary in pounds. 
My question for the pod, of course, no personal advice. If you are earning a salary in pounds and plan to invest some each month, would you invest through a UK brokerage service in pounds? Or would you convert the investment money to Australian dollars each month and continue building a portfolio through Comsec? Hmm. Well, uh, she asked about the second question later. So let's let's go with that. That's the first question. Um, your thoughts, mate? Part of it would be informed by my long-term plans. Like, hmm. am I there for the duration in the UK? Um, that would probably give me more of a, a bias towards investing there, if that's going yeah. be, to become yeah. your home. It's, I, I think it's not an insignificant thing to have somewhat of a home field advantage being in the mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same marketplace and the companies that you're in, you're investing in. Um, I got to tell you, there's nothing that's there's obviously some exceptions, but it's hard to think of some really outstanding British companies, isn't that? Mm-hmm. I don't I mean to offend a- anyone from from that part. Yeah, but but it's true, right? <laughs> you know, it's not there's no particular standouts. I. I I, so if I was just there for a couple of years and I'm ultimately coming here and re- living the rest of my life here, I'd probably f- just um, favour Australia. Um, but at the same time, it's it, you know, as always, it depends. If there is a company you know really well on that market and it's got a really good opportunity and a good problem, but absolutely buy it and you just deal with it later on. If you whatever you end up doing, you can come back home and then sell it from here and and shift the funds back over. So mm-hmm. it's it's a question of um, where do you see the boat both the best opportunities. And I, I can say with someone who's just never bothered to look closely at the UK market, for me, it's a no-brainer because I just don't know anything about it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's not because I, I'm saying, oh, everything there is bad. It's just because there's only so many hours in the day and there's already dozens and dozens of stocks yeah, to right, keep me right. occupied just on the ASX alone. And as yeah. I've said to you before, I get all of my exposure to the US through ETFs. I just I just don't do stock picking over there because, not, and, and, I, and I say that while thinking that some of the best companies in the world are over there. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, I want exposure to them that's easy to do with an ETF, but in terms of the, the the stock selection stuff, I want I want the home field advantage. I want to be in the pond that I feel as though I've got an edge. I understand well it's my local market. I've got access to the management. You know, whatever whatever it happens to be, that's where I feel my edge is, and so that's where I'm going to spend my time. I like that. I like that answer, mate. Um, funnily enough, that's part of Leah's next question, which I'll get to in a second. The Leah, I, there's some tax implications of this, but I, to Andrew's point, depends where you're going to end up. If you're in the UK for life, you might as well start building a UK portfolio. If you're not, um, I see no benefit in, in necessarily in um, in having a UK portfolio. You then got to sell and bring home or something else. It's going to make your life difficult in the future. If you if you're back in Australia in 12, 18, 24 months, uh, and you got UK capital gains and UK, you know. Uh, pounds, uh, different brokerages, all that kind of stuff. It's probably, look, it's not, it's not the world's worst problem. Uh, but if you're going to end up in Australia, I, I, it just makes sense to do that. Um, the other thing, because don't forget, you know, the, the the benefit of keeping pounds, not the benefit, the impact of keeping pounds now is you delay the exchange rate, you know, realisation. Mm. And that might be good or bad, depending on which way the rates go from here, and no one knows that either. So there will be, in hindsight, there'll be an easy, easy answer. Uh, it will have been better either to send money now or to wait, and we don't know what the answer is going to be. But also at that point, as I said, you either retain a UK brokerage account forever until you sell the shares, then pay capital gains tax, or you keep the investing happening here. Um, we talk about not interrupting compounding. Selling, let's say you own an S&P 500 ETF just to make it non-Australia or UK. Selling that in the UK, paying tax, and then investing what's left over in the same ETF or similar one in Australia with less money because you've already paid the tax. Uh, that feels like, a, that feels like a, a cost to me that I'd probably rather avoid. So if you can avoid... Uh, interrupting compounding if you can avoid paying tax i would do that uh, so i would i would probably 
in that circumstance, I don't know about your circumstances, and we couldn't tell you if we did, um, I would probably stick with that because I think that's probably makes more sense. Do it in Australia. But if you're going to stay in the UK, then uh, probably a different, a very different story. Mm-hmm. Hey, Leah, second question. She says, uh, it's more just a point of curiosity. I've recently signed up to Motley Fool ETF Investor, and I notice it has a fairly high weighting to Australian shares. I think you both have said before on the pod, you have a preference to Australian companies as you have a home ground advantage. Ram just used that exact mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. which makes complete sense, she says, if you're selecting individual companies. But if you're only invested in ETFs, would you have a preference towards Australian ETFs and why? Mm. And also, would it be different if you didn't live in Australia? I love that second question. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you don't invest on, on your home turf just for the um, uh, patriotic dimension to it like <laughs> if if i didn't feel as though the, the i was optimistic on australia's long-term economic mm-hmm. fortunes and and the opportunities within that it'd be a different answer but i guess i i guess i do mm-hmm. and i guess i'm probably more aware of it than someone who's investing in the northern hemisphere just because well, they don't live here and australia's two percent of the global economy and why would you pay any attention to it yeah, so it's sort yeah. of you know <laughs> you, you're, you're going to be biased just by your set of circumstances alone right so i just i've, I've built up there's also a there's a sunk cost here because i've been working and investing in this market for so long <laughs> I've, I've built up a bit of a knowledge base of a lot of the companies and so it feels a shame to to discard all of that and start to build up a brand new library of knowledge yeah. <laughs> on a different market on a different set of a uh, 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 different set of uh, companies so but um uh if i didn't live here would i want exposure to australia I, I guess what would drive me to look overseas is if I felt as though my current opportunity set was weak um, to the point, why do I invest in the US then? It's just because when I when I look internationally and outside of our very small market, it's just there's one that stands out amongst all, which is the <laughs> giant 4,000 pound gorilla, which is which is Wall Street, which which has all of the like, companies whose brands will be recognized by, you know, people in the middle of the Amazon basin and the Sahara Desert. They're just they're just they're just global forces to be reckoned with. And I, I want exposure to, to that kind of stuff. And that's why I was maybe a little bit critical of some of the maybe the, the British based market or even the German market. And again, I, I do know I've got some friends of mine who will tell you all day long there's some absolute gems there and there are. But with with what's available to me, with what I totally. am armed with, I'm really content to, to go here. But yeah, give me some easy, low cost, low hassle a- access to some of those those big giants. Yeah, um, yeah, Leah. I sorry. I mean, I do. By the way, quick ad, just because I can. Uh, if you do want to find out more about the Motley Fool's ETF service, it is stupid cheap. Here's I'll, I'll give you the headline: twenty nine dollars uh, to join for a year. It's just too cheap anyway yeah. uh, really cheap uh, some ETF advice not individual stock picks this is just for people who are getting started uh, who want some ETFs who just want to invest using ETFs only um, some education some advice some stock recommendations or ETF recommendations I should say um, go to fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor so that's fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor um, 29 bucks cheapest chips just seriously have it have, check it out um, I designed the service by the way I'm massively biased I love it I think we've done a really really nice job for a really really good price for people who just want that so if it's you um, and thank you Leah for joining it by the way really appreciate it uh, but I'll, I won't miss the opportunity to give it a plug uh, yeah it makes a few dollars for the company but, um, I, I love it I totally um, makes a few dollars for the company uh, probably the boss is happy with me doing it but I just I, I you know I've been really lucky Ram you know this I run Share Advisor. I've always been allowed to run it my way, which is very, very generous of the boss. 
Um, we've we've launched some new services, Motley Fool Everlasting Income for uh, retirement income, uh, Motley Fool Platinum, which is our kind of high back-end all-access service, and now ETF Investor. Each of those has been my idea. Share Advisor wasn't, but I get to run it my way. The other ones, I've just I've been allowed to say, hey, here's what I think we should do for our members. Here's what we should launch, and I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, not many people have that that fortune in life to work for another work for a company, work for a boss, and get to have a, a, that much sway. So I really love the service. I designed it because I like it. I wanted to give that advice to Australian investors. So that's what it is. That's why it's there, and that's why I'm proud of it. That's why I'm giving it a plug. Um, to to answer the question though, Leah. There's a bit, so you know, we talk about dollar cost averaging versus investing all at once. We have that question regularly. If I've got an inheritance, what do I do? Do I put it in once or do I, do I spread it? And there's a mathematical answer and there's a behavioral answer. And they're different. We've said this before many times. They're different, they're different answers. When it comes to ETFs, the reality is that 98% of the world's markets are not in Australia. And so it probably stands to the reason that 98% of the best opportunities in the world are not in Australia as well, particularly at an ETF level. Um, you know, would you have, you know, if, and here's the thing, to your point about if you didn't live in Australia, would it be different? I love that question because the question might be if you were Kenyan or you were a New Zealander or a, you were Vietnamese or, you know, pick your, pick your country, um, Ecuadorian, and someone said, hey, should you put half your money in an Australian ETF? You're like, what, no, what, what, what? Why would I do that? What are you kidding? And yet, you know, as Australians, we say, oh, well, less than half in Australia. That doesn't seem right. Like it's Australia, right? Why wouldn't we do it? And so it's kind of, it's not wrong. Um, but I do think, yeah, if, if we didn't live, if, if none of us lived in Australia or came from Australia, would we allocate 50% to an ASX 200 ETF? No. If I, if I was running Motley Fool Swaziland, would I, would I say, you know what, everyone should do 50% of their money in an ASX ETF? So no, it, it's absolutely true that there is home country bias. There just is. Now, one quick thing, Australian franking credits are a massive difference. It does matter a lot that we are Australians because we get access to those tax credits. You don't get those credits if you're from somebody else, somewhere else. And not almost, I don't think any other developed country gives franking credits. So it's a really, really big difference and it is a massive benefit for Australian investors. If you if dividends are part of a meaningful part of your returns, it absolutely does matter and it does move the dial because you have to consider the tax benefits of doing that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no. So honestly, the ETF investor... I don't remember the exact numbers, but it is a large chunk in Australia. And now we have some international as well. The answer as to why is a combination of we know the company, we like the countries, we don't have to worry about exchange rate, we get franking credits. And so that's why I think it's a reasonable compromise between academically best and the advice that's best for our members because they're going to follow it. Mm-hmm. I say regularly, the only good advice is the advice that's taken. I can be the smartest bloke in the world, but if I can't make my case and no one believes me or does what I say, then I'm wasting my time. I, I, I make myself feel better but I don't help anybody else. So the, 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 the structure that we have, I think is a really, really good combination. I, well, <laughs> sounds arrogant, probably is, um, of, of those considerations we put that service together. So uh, for me, half of my portfolio roughly is in the US, roughly half is here, excluding super. Um, even the stuff that's here, some of it's NASDAQ ETF, so it's probably, probably about half and half overall, I think. Um, but yeah, so that, that's hopefully a, a decent answer to that question. Nice. Anything else, Ram? No. Cool. Uh, here we go. Questions from... Ben, uh, who uh, I'll, I'll read the I'll read the full. Um, actually, no, it's not from Ben. It's from Bobo. Thanks, Bobo, for the for the question. Uh, you'll you'll get this in a second. Um, good morning, Scott and Ram. He says, "Feel free to leave Andrew out of the greeting if you feel so inclined." I enjoy hearing the pretense that he is not offended. <laughs> he then says, thin insert skin, pl- "Very thin skin." Here. Yes, on your Bobo. He says, "Insert placations and gratifications here." LOL. <laughs> Thank you, mate. You, I, I'm like I'm liking our questions who kind of get out sense of humour, mate. It works nicely. He's got four questions. Uh, they're pretty easy. We've answered some already, so we'll go very quickly. 
One, if someone had a sum of money and wanted to invest in ETFs, do you have an opinion on whether they should do it in one lump sum or dollar cost average over a number of months? We've answered that before. Yep. Um, I don't, we won't do it again. Number two, what are your general thoughts on using Comsec Pocket? A very limited selection of ETFs, but only $2 per purchase. Mate, do you have a quick view on Comsec Pocket? I'm not familiar with the intricacies of the product. I think anything that is designed to get you to make regular uh, contributions at a very low cost is probably a decent idea, you know. Yep. Um, so I, 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 it might be terrible for a whole bunch of other reasons I'm not aware of, but as I understand it in terms of the concept, I've got no great problem with it, no. Yep, agreed. Um, I, I think, yeah, perfectly fine. I can put perfectly, perfectly fine. Uh, no, no drums whatsoever. I mean, look, the thing to state here is that they're offering you a service, and yep. there'll be costs involved with that because they're not they're not a charity. So, is the is the totally. the benefits that this product offers you uh, worth it to you in the costs that you'll pay? And I'm not sure what the charges are. And the answer the answer is yes. I mean, you could just make the argument: we'll just open up a very low. If there's much, there's brokers out there with far lower brokerage fees, when you could just mm. go out there, select some things yourself, save up the money until you've got a decent marketable size parcel, and and just do it yourself. Abs- you know. But, but if the end result is more or less the same and the costs are really not material then and you enjoy the convenience, then by all means. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, just I, I, The only thing I would say is just be careful of the ETFs themselves. Um, they have a tech-savvy ETF, a health-wise ETF, a sustainability leaders uh, ETF. Uh, These are all interesting ideas that kind of roll off the tongue. Um, I don't know that necessarily makes them great investments necessarily. Now, they do have an Aussie Top 200, Aussie Dividends, Global 100, other stuff. Um, but look, honestly, it's fine. Just don't don't get too caught up with the thematic ETFs would be my advice. Mm-hmm. Because question three is, when you speak about broad-based ETFs, can you list or explain what you mean by broad-based? Mm. So I'm going to go with that one, Ram, and you can jump in. Mm. Um, I've said before, the index funds in the old days, Jack Bogle, uh, who's now passed away, started Vanguard, and he started it by saying, what if we could make the S&P 500 available to every investor as a as a fund, as a managed fund. In other words, the index, so the S&P 500 index as a fund, hence index funds. And that was the idea. Made it simple, give everyone the market return. Great, great, great. And, and more and to that, just to layer on top of that, more to mm. that, we don't have to hire a team of stock pickers and analysts right, to work out right. what we, we're just, at the goal is to just emulate, quote unquote, the market. That it will do Correct. no more or no less. And we're not trying to. And the genius of what they did, just a very quick tangent, was was to... To do that at the lowest possible cost. In fact, there's a non nonprofit model, um, mm-hmm. and and that has allowed good. it's spectacularly good. They they, mm-hmm. they really democratized access to equities in in a in a very ethical way. To and look, they made a lot of money out of it in the process. So it wasn't entirely not that much. though. that's the thing, right? Because it's actually but, member owned. Bogle, yeah. Bogle could have made yep. probably a hundred times as much money during his life if he'd said, "I'm going to own Vanguard Investments and make it available for everybody else." I mean, he's a very wealthy man, but yeah, you're right. He could have absolutely yep. done that. And so it's. Yep. I think that's why Vanguard does does get the credit it deserves. Now. So they started the index fund idea. It was a managed fund. You had to send them a check. They'd send you the money back when you wanted it. It was an index, a managed fund. Then what happened was that fund was able to be listed on the market. So you could buy and sell it like shares. Hence, exchange traded fund. Now, in the early days, an exchange traded fund was an exchange traded index fund because that's all there were. Unfortunately, what happened is other fund managers jumped on the bandwagon. I say unfortunately, not because they're not able to do it, but it muddied the waters. So now if Andrew and I started the Bitcoin gold 
oil, hyper-leveraged. Uh, by the way, we're going to throw some Dogecoin in their fund. <laughs> and uh, just, just to really get up, Andrew's nose. Um, we could say, hey, this is a great new ETF. You should buy it. And a lot of people go, oh, ETFs. I've heard ETFs are great because they've heard the Vanguard stuff. Uh, ETFs are great, so they must all be good. So as long as I'm buying an ETF, that's good. I'm, I'm being diversified and I'm, I'm, it's passive investing. It's all that kind of stuff. To which I say, hell no, it isn't and it wouldn't be. And so other fund managers have muddied the waters massively. They've jumped on the coattails of the index fund revolution. Mm. Index funds became, became known as ETFs. ETFs are good. Therefore, any ETF must be good, right? And the answer is, of course, absolutely not. So I do that because setting up the idea of what broad-based means is really important. I used to just say, hey, buy ETFs, ETFs are great. There are some really, really crappy ETFs. There are some really expensive ETFs. There are some ETFs people shouldn't be buying, but they get sucked in because of, as I said before, some of those sexy names and sexy ideas. Who doesn't want to buy the lithium EV battery fund? Because EV is going to be big, right? Who doesn't want to buy ethical investing fund? Because ethical investing is going to be big, right? And I'm helping to save the planet. Who, do, you know, who doesn't want to buy the green revolution fund? Because et cetera, et cetera, right? You get the idea. Whether they come with a 1% or 1.5% management fee, whether the funds even perform half decently, people aren't checking because they, they're so enamored by the idea of the ETF and they're, they're convinced ETFs are great. So when I talk about ETFs now, I talk about broad-based, diversified, low-cost index ETFs. And some of that, by the way, is, is tautology because they're, they're kind of the same thing. But I do it to be really, 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 really clear that I don't want you to buy any ETF. I don't want you to buy it just because it's an ETF. I want you to buy a broad-based, and I say index-based, buy an index ETF, ASX 300, S&P 500, uh, NASDAQ, Global, whatever, I own some of those myself, by the way. Um, and so that makes them broad-based because they're following an ind a big index, right? Not a limit index, not the index of EV makers, not the index of you know uh, windmill turbine makers, a broad, big, proper index like the S&P 500 or the ASX 200. Mm -hmm. Also, too, I throw low cost in there. So to your question, Ben, low cost. I think the Vanguard US total market ETF index, the, um, the fee is like 0.04%, something stupidly, stupidly small, yeah. really tiny. Um, some ETFs have fees of 1.5%. It is a big, big, big range. What's that? 5,000 times the price, <laughs> something like that. Mm. Um, you know, really, really big difference. So yes, when I say broad-based ETF, I mean something that tracks the index, preferably one of the really big, broad, whole market indexes like indices, like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the ASX 200 or something else. Yep. Do you have any other, any other thoughts on broad-based ETFs, mate? Yeah, I mean, you start start at the beginning, which is what, what if I'm going to buy a product, I mean, what, what solution mm. am I trying mm. for here? Mm. What's going to fix, what's going to scratch the itch, I guess, is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And if, if, if you've, and I think most people come to ETFs because they just want a very easy, hassle-free way to get exposure to quote unquote the market. 100%. When you start buying a basket of different specialist active ETFs, it's sort of like, well, wait a second, that's, that's not what you set mm. out to mm. do. Um, so there, there might be someone out there going, yeah, but I just am so super passionate on India. I just think India yep, is going to yep, be the yep. next China, and it's like, and then, and if I buy this ETF, it just buys me the biggest companies over there, and I get my exposure, mm -hmm, and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually got no problem with that. That's fine because you started with a problem, and then you found something that that met that that provided a solution to that, namely a, a low cost, you know, IIND. I think is the particular code for the beta shares one that they run. If if you want that, but but that's a very very different investing strategy to just oh, just give me some easy low cost access to the market. That, that's a very that's a very different thing altogether. So, just 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 um, if you want to get that sophisticated, you can. I'm not entirely. I think once you get to that point, frankly, it's just like you might as well just start picking some individual shares. In fact, frankly, you should actually pick individual shares if you if you can reasonably assess the value and future and valuation and reasonable price of India's entire stock market. 
you do it better than I am. Mm. Like if, yeah. if you're trying to say, actually, I'm going to buy, you know, the the New Zealand, you know, NZX mid cap twenty ETF. I'm like, what do you? What can you really know? And if you know enough about it, know that's good value. Mm. You probably pick some companies in that in that index that are even better value. Yeah. But yep. the, that, that's my issue with ETFs generally. People say, oh, EVs are going to be big, therefore buy the ETF. It's like, well, no. Like, yeah. you, you know, how big is it going to be? How fast is demand going to grow? Are these companies even profitable? What yep. P are the individual companies trading at? Just because EVs are going to be big, don't buy the bloody ETF. No, don't. And, 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 and the product manufacturers, which is what they are, know this. And <laughs> yes. so that's why they're given exactly. cool names, right? Like, so, yep. and, and yeah. too, <laughs> usually I'm not, I'm not including the listener here, but often when these kinds of questions come up, oh, you're having these mm-hmm. conversations, it's like, oh, I'm really big on electric vehicles, so I bought the electric vehicle ETF. And it's kind of like there's a there's a real leap between those two thoughts and the investment merits of it. Like I'm actually pretty mm-hmm. bullish on electric vehicles. I think they'll come to increasingly grow a larger and to a larger and larger segment of the market. Yeah. Sorry. But I don't know how this particular fund has been put together. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the do you know what I mean? Like, like it, it's it's totally. It's too often just at a high level thinking. For example, there was one launched last year, I want exercise. to say, called crypto. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, of course there was. And people go, oh, crypto. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> it's like, oh, what, what, how many companies is it? What kind of company? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's like crypto companies. What tokens? Like, well, what? Exactly. Actually, no tokens. There were miners in there and there were other companies. Yeah, right. Like, actually, when you, dig, you dug at it, it's just like, yeah. oh, this is, this is not. It kind of shares the same label and there's sort of some sense to why it was called that. But it, it, it could be a very, very different thing than what I thought I was buying. So, yeah, I, low cost, broad-based, keep it simple. Uh, Bobo finishes up by saying, really appreciate your logical advice and simplification of what I had previously never understood. You guys have sent me on my investing journey and I really wish I kicked it off in my 20s, don't we all? Mm-hmm. My kids are now sick of me rabbiting on about how important it is to start early. Happy for you to use my name or any pseudonym that you may get a kick out of. Kind regards, Bobo. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually Ben, but Ben, I just started to call you Bobo because it was just funny <laughs> and you gave me the opportunity. So thank you, Bobo, for your email. <laughs> thank you for letting me have some fun with that. Uh, you know, give me an inch, I'll take a mile just quietly. So uh, <laughs> yes, thank you, Bobo, for the question. Mate, uh, that's all we've got time for today. Can I, uh, can I bring you back on Friday and we'll have another chat? Oh, mate, you know it. You know you can. I'm looking forward I to will. it. Me too. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.